0: And I really believe that that we have to really think differently about the whole system of care for folks to make sure that we are optimizing for health and all have the humility to know we play different roles in that. Welcome to
1: the ACO Show. Today, Josh is joined by Mandy Cohen, Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, They discuss the state of the COVID-19 pandemic in North Carolina, ongoing Medicaid pilots to improve healthcare in the state, and how and why North Carolina continues to be a leader in healthcare innovation. I'm Josh Israel, a medical director at Allidade, and I have the pleasure to be joined today by Dr. Mandy Cohen. Dr. Cohen is an internal medicine physician, formerly Chief Operating Officer and Chief of Staff at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. She was appointed in 2017 to be the secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, uh, overseeing a $20 billion budget, as well as North Carolina Medicaid. Dr. Cohen also leads the COVID-19 response for the state of North Carolina. That's quite a portfolio. I guess I would just ask, uh, what's the state of the state right now in North Carolina regarding the pandemic?
0: Well, first, Dr. Israel, great to be with you. And in terms of the state of the pandemic, I'd say we have some optimism on the horizon in that our trends are going in the right direction, our cases are going down, our hospitalizations are going down, but we still have a lot of viral spread here in North Carolina. Um, We're still focused on getting more folks vaccinated. We continue to make progress every day appreciative of all of the collaboration that's gone into it, but we still have more work to do. And right now we are preparing for vaccinating our kids, our five to 11-year-olds. So we're very much preparing for that as we also roll out the first stage of boosters. And we'd likely know more booster shots to come probably later in October.
1: North Carolina is a famously purple state. It's one of 12 states in America now that have not expanded Medicaid. Has that made any difference in how you've had to respond to the pandemic?
0: Well, you know, unfortunately, this pandemic has been polarizing and and some parts of politics have, have seeped into it. But I work for a Democratic governor and you know he has really trusted the science and the data, and trusted me and my team to lead through the COVID response. And I think because I've I will have now been secretary almost five years this coming January. You know I had built a lot of relationships across the aisle before COVID hit, and I think that served us very well as we were able to respond to this crisis. So we had a a lot of trust and relationships built, and I think that that allowed us to stay more cohesive as a state, and so you know, we, there, there are folks who come at this from different perspectives, but I think we have done as well as we possibly could, given the crisis that was in front of us and all the unknowns. So I'm pretty proud of the work. And I, you know, I have felt supported by folks as we've, we've gone through this very challenging time. You know, look, there are always folks, and we're seeing them now, who are not supportive of where we're going, but I'm just going to stick to the science and the data and try to explain where we are. That's what I do every day
1: one of the ways that the state interacts with the healthcare system is through large hospital systems uh, and other clinical delivery networks. Allidade, as you know, supports independent outpatient primary care practices. Does the state have any way to work with groups like that to lever your intentions?
0: So I would say in our Medicaid program, we've made a huge investment in primary care, I think is foundational for us to both build the healthiest state, but also as we think about value um, and making sure that we are being most efficient with our system. I will disclose I'm a primary care doctor myself. I'm not currently practicing but I have read all of the studies and frankly, I've read the results from the Allidaids work in terms of how to use primary care to make sure that patients are getting the right care at the right time in the right place. And so we have made a big investment through our Medicaid program in primary care, particularly in standing up an advanced medical home program where we really wanted care management and care coordination, to be local, to stay with the practice, and to fund it. Um, And so right now, 80% of our Medicaid beneficiaries are served in advanced medical homes that allow for practices to get enhanced funding to take care of our beneficiaries. So I'd say our Medicaid transformation that we've just gone through really was grounded in investing in primary care, and so that that's very important. I do want to mention, though, you know, as I I wear a lot of hats, and I, as we were just talking about COVID, wearing my my COVID response hat, and I think this is something we have to. Think about as we are looking to respond to future pandemics. I was super appreciative of the hospital systems in our response to COVID. They were both collaborative, but I frankly they just had the scale that we needed um, at times to to respond to COVID that we couldn't get because so much of our healthcare system can be siloed and fractured. But our health systems were able to provide scale at a time where we needed it. I do think we need to have that conversation go going forward as we prepare well, first recover, um, but then prepare for what we know may be another pandemic in the future, because we have to think both about that execution at scale that we need to respond, but also how our system works overall. And obviously, I just said, we think it's foundational to invest in primary care and independent primary care in particular. So I am still thinking through how all of those pieces fit together for me as I think through to our future um, healthcare system and state that we want to be in in the future.
1: Yeah, that seems to be part of the challenge that the larger healthcare systems do have the scale, but they're not always the best position to to bring down costs. Uh, and then sort of more micro issues around trust in the vaccine, where we have found that primary care docs have that relationship and we're often more able to convince some sort of skeptical patients.
0: I think that's exactly right, right? So what what you hear from that is there are lots of uh, folks who have really, really critical roles here, both in pandemic response, but also in serving value and delivering health for a patient. And so I think we're seeing different models of how that works through. And, you know, I think as we continue to learn and see how... Allidade and independent primary care practices. How how can they meet the needs of a pandemic response, right? If if that is um, going to be part of it, and how do we think about using primary care at scale for that, if if we need to? But we will just say in a crisis. I will just be honest. We were not prepared to do that at first, but we know that there is so much value in our primary care infrastructure. So I think those are the things we're going to take some lessons learned and say, well, where do we go next from here? Lots of value in different places in in the system. What is this whole system that we want to work? And, And frankly, how do we make sure that we are using all of our dollars wisely and actually getting health back out from the system. I'm a big proponent of of making sure that we are not just getting more, but what we are getting is actual health from our system. And just also approach the humility that primary care and frankly all health care is not always going to be the 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 problem solver on everything health. And we know that that's been the the talk and the buzz of social determinants. And I really believe that that we have to really think differently about the whole system of care for folks to make sure that we are optimizing for health and all have the humility to know we play different roles in that.
1: So you mentioned the social determinants of health, you know, things like poverty, food insecurity and that go into patients' physical health. And I, I do know that North Carolina has been making increasing investments in this, including the healthy opportunities pilot. Can you speak to what that is and how that's been working?
0: Sure. Well, first, we call it healthy opportunities because I I dislike the term social determinants because it makes it seem like those are immovable. And what we know is we can make strides here. And so what we've invested in in North Carolina are a few things. One, before we just get to the Medicaid work we've done, we've invested in a technology platform to help us link health and human services together and create an infrastructure to make it possible to bring those non-traditional care and health services into the healthcare world. It's called NC Care 360. We're the first statewide platform. I'm really proud of that. I think it's a necessary infrastructure. Again, it doesn't create a food bank where there's not one. It doesn't create resources, but it does create this common platform so that we know we're all caring for the same patient, the same communities. Um, So we're we're excited about that. But we've also said, okay, we have to think about, again, using our dollars efficiently to buy health. And if we're going to do that, how do we buy the things that are going to maximize health for a patient, for a family, for a community? And for us, we asked the federal government for permission to use our Medicaid dollars to test out when we buy things like a short term housing intervention, or assistance filling out WIC and SNAP applications. Those are nutrition programs that people are eligible for but don't take advantage of, right? So how do we pay for those kinds of of services that I'd call like fill in the gaps kinds of services that actually further people's health and reduce costs? And again, I think for organizations whether it's a health system or practices that are taking risk um, like I know the practices in Allday do you want to be thinking about health because we know for example housing insecurity makes it more likely that you're going to bounce back for a readmission to the hospital so there are very good reasons to invest in this these places to keep costs down overall and I think we want to get smarter about who needs these interventions and what are the interventions that really move the needle on both health and cost um, overall. And so that is the work that is underway in our Medicaid program right now.
1: Are you tracking outcomes in a program like that?
0: Oh, absolutely. Right. So we want to know, is their health better? And have we saved costs? So I think there are two populations that we, uh, we have the most opportunity to make improvements on in a short time frame. One of them is pregnant moms, right? Pregnancy is a defined period of time. It's actually pretty quick, but if mom has a bad pregnancy outcome, a preterm birth needs to go to cesarean section, those costs go way up and outcomes go way down really quickly. I think there are ways for us to intervene with our higher risk pregnant moms in a way for us to both look at better pregnancy outcomes for mom and better outcomes for baby right away. And so those are the kinds of things, but we're also, Looking at folks with chronic diseases, obviously addiction is a space that I want to make sure we're we're paying attention to as well. And then there's some some pockets of where our kids can be both sick and costly. Asthmatic kids is is a certainly a focus for us in the Healthy Opportunities work. So if we make a home intervention, for example, right, we I talk about the carpet example. Let's rip up someone's carpet if that's what's causing repeated mold exposure, or if, if, if it's wh- whatever home intervention is needed to keep them out of the expensive emergency room, let's do that. So I think there are ways we are definitely tracking outcomes. And I think there are intervenable populations. I don't think it's everyone. And I think this is what we're trying to really understand well is be data driven, look at those outcomes and, and understand what populations really benefit from the intervention and that make sense for us to frankly change the Medicaid program as as we go forward.
1: Medicaid is the payer that covers more people than any other single program. It's obviously an often misunderstood program. One of the challenges with it is that people cycle in and out of it. The way the eligibility rules are set up, up to 25% of people will have coverage gaps in any given year. I imagine that makes it hard to, as you say, buy health, you know, you want to invest Uh, in patients in their health, but if they're cycling in and out of the program, how do you try to handle that?
0: I think it's a really great point. what I would say is we know churn is less when states expand Medicaid. So that's the first thing North Carolina absolutely has to do. And it's something I'm spending time on right now. I do think there's an opportunity for us to be negotiating that in the context of, of a budget negotiation that's going on right now. And so we're, we're still working at it every day. So stay tuned for more on that. Because I, I like I said, it cuts down on that churn because people's income bounces around, particularly when you're working seasonal or part-time, which a lot of folks who could qualify for Medicaid in that expansion gap might be. So that's one way to cut down on churn is make sure that we are sustaining the, the program in a way to have expansion. But, you know, for, for North Carolina, though, I, I will say, we also have a consolidated payer market here and sometimes that can be bad and sometimes that can be good. And then from the churn perspective, that can be good because when you have a, a one dominant insurance player You know, when folks churn in and out, often they're going to end up in that same, whether they bounce onto a commercial plan and maybe back to Medicaid, and then they age into Medicare, It's still one of our dominant blues plans. And so um, I think we've been able to understand that fact and thus partner with our blues plan here in North Carolina to think about what investments can be made from a population perspective. Um, How do they use their foundation and invest? How do we do it in collaboration? So we we have a good working relationship there.
1: I know that as of this summer, most patients with Medicaid in North Carolina are now going to have managed Medicaid. Is that different than the, the primary care medical home?
0: It is. It's, I, I think they're interlinked. So we've moved 1.6 million of our about 2.2 2 million beneficiaries into managed care. So there's still more more work to come to move into managed care. But as we made that changes into managed care is where we made our huge primary care investment. So we said, as we move to managed care, here are the rules of the road and how we wanna see, like I said, care coordination and care management delegated to the practice. We didn't wanna see managed care come in and take, care coordination away from practices and take care out of that trusted environment and do it at a, at a plan level. So we were very particular about how we structured our primary care investment and what we wanted to see as we moved into managed care. So I actually think we've been able to build on a lot of the primary care infrastructure that existed in Medicaid before managed care. And now we've sort of doubled down on it as we've moved into to manage care. Now, we're only three, four months in at this point. We had a, a quiet rollout, which is good. We're continually tweaking the program um, and improving it. But I think we still have yet to see the outcomes that you mentioned earlier to make sure that the investments we're making in primary care, that we actually are seeing that play out and we're, we're seeing the program come to life in the way we sort of envisioned it when we wrote the policies.
1: Do you have any sense of how it's being received at the level of the, the health providers?
0: Well, I think they're very happy, particularly that our primary care practices making investments in them and recognizing the importance of get and making sure that they see their patient totally get data about their patient um, and can do all the care coordination, care management locally. I will also say we we started a program during COVID to layer on additional equity payments for primary care. So our pri- about eight hundred of our primary care practices got equity payments, so additional PMPM payments for those who were seeing more beneficiaries from lower socioeconomic zip codes and from our historically marginalized communities. Obviously, Medicaid is a Program for those who are low income, but even within that, we know there's stratifications of more at risk, and certainly from our historically marginalized communities. So, I'm excited to see some of the outcomes from that as well. We've given folks some investment to really make sure our primary care practices can do what they need to to reach some of our hardest to reach folks in in the program.
1: That's fantastic. You mentioned data. I think people who are not steep in the world would just assume that. The data that's out there for healthcare, everybody can get it and parse it and make sense of it, but that is far from the case. In traditional fee-for-service Medicare, things are pretty standardized, and that's about as far as it gets. You know, Medicare Advantage, uh, the data comes in the form that the commercial payer uses. Medicaid is very different state by state. What are you trying to do in North Carolina to make the data more standardized and accessible?
0: Well, this is where I think North Carolina has an advantage from a long-term relationship with an organization that's really thought about data analytics and bringing that to primary care in particular. The fact that we didn't have managed care just until this year meant we had a single pegger in Medicaid, and thus data was able to be more streamlined in our Medicaid program. And so for me, I just didn't want to break that (laughs) as we moved to managed care. So we actually had to spend a lot of time and work to make sure that we were getting our transition right to make sure that the data feeds that practices were used to seeing so that they could spot their high-risk patients or their rising-risk patients, because we did give data to every practice in order to, to know who those people were, to make sure that we at least maintain that as we moved into managed care and now go beyond um, and make sure that they have the data they need to care for their patients. Because I think without visibility, you really can't do what you need to manage your whole patient panel well. So we've, focused on making sure that we can get data to our practices again, built into the program from day one. And so like I said, so far so good in terms of just the transition. And now we want to get into the the weeds of of how is that working for our practices and what do we need to do to make sure that, you know, what else do they need in terms of, of data as we go forward?
1: My last question is, what is it about North Carolina that has engendered such innovation in healthcare?
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that. That's nice. You know, I, I think we had an opportunity for change. And so we capitalized on that, right? We were the last big state to move their Medicaid program to managed care. That was something that was decided by my General Assembly before I even took this job. So I arrived knowing that Medicaid was going to go through a big change. And I said, okay, change is hard, but change is an opportunity and allows for us to sort of step back and say, well, what is the program we want to build? Maybe it might not have been the way we would have constructed that change, but can we layer in different pieces into this, this change to make it the best and, and strongest it can be? So really what we did is, I don't think it's that innovative because we watched many states do pieces of these things, but we really did a fantastic sweep around the country, said, what's the best of what everyone's doing? And let's do it all here, all at the same time. So we did things like in mental health, absolutely had to do, invest in primary care, get rid of hospital supplemental payments, make equity payments to our primary care practices, keep a single pharmacy formulary. I don't know if any one of those things is innovative, but we really tried to layer them all on. And then what I think is the innovative is, is ask CMS for the approval to do. Our healthy opportunities pilot um, and the investments we made around there. I think we are the first state to take that kind of work to scale because we're going to be enrolling about thirty thousand to forty thousand beneficiaries. Those kinds of projects in the past have only been, you know, on the order of three hundred people, five hundred people. So uh, I'm excited to to go to scale at thirty thousand and and see what we can learn. So. I think we're just good at looking at other people taking the best of what they what they uh, were doing and bringing it here to our state and working with great partners who have taught us a lot along the way
1: well dr mandy cohen secretary of the north carolina department of health and human services i'm going to let you get back to your job
0: okay well wonderful to be with you dr israel thanks for the time and thanks to all of our primary care docs out there i know it's a lot of work but we are so appreciative of everything you're doing for our state
1: This episode of the ACO Show was produced by Leanne Priade. Our theme music is by Donna Korn. You can find previous episodes on our website, Alliday.com, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.